0: self-published author and digital marketer, Paul Teague.
1: Hello and welcome to Self-Publishing Journeys episode number 99 for Monday the 22nd of January 2018. My guest today is Tim Wakeling, who's an entrepreneur and marketing expert living in the middle of nowhere in rural Cumbria, my home county. His day job is running the Helpful Book Company, which publishes books and videos that help people to learn how to use computers, tablets and the like. He sells directly to the customer, so uses lots of email and direct mail to keep in touch and to make sure that people know what books that he's bringing out next. I first heard about Tim via a previous podcast guest, Russell Holden, who piqued my interest in Tim's business model. It's a really, really fascinating way of doing business. When we chatted for the podcast, I started by asking Tim, which came first, the desire to write or spotting a hungry market?
2: A little bit of both, I suppose. So when I was younger, I was i always a huge fan of books, as I suppose most of uh, the people who come on your podcast are, um, and read a huge amount. But it never really crossed my mind that I could be an author. It was one of those things that other people do. Um, and then I went away to university and thought, oh, what on earth do I do now after I graduated, as a lot of people do? And I ended up getting a job in an educational publisher, um, doing books about uh, maths and science. Um, so not quite the same kind of thing I do now. I did that for a few years and quite enjoyed that. Got a bit bored after I'd been there about seven years or so and thought, well, maybe I could do this for myself. But I didn't want to do exactly the same thing because that seemed a bit ungentlemanly. So I thought, well, what else can I do? What else do I know about that I can help explain and write books about? And at the time, well, probably still, I find myself writing a lot of notes to help my mum and dad on their computer. So I live up in Cumbria, they live down in Plymouth, so I can't just go around and show them how to to do things on it. And I, I was always getting questions, how do you do this, Tim? How do you do that? So I'd scribble these notes down with pictures of the screen and post it to them or later on email it to them. And I started to think, well, maybe this would be useful for other people as well, not just my mum and dad. Maybe I could turn these into books. Um, so that's what I did. I wrote uh, essentially a book called Computers One Step at a Time, which was essentially a set of these notes that I'd been doing for mum and dad and tried publishing it myself to see if it would work. Uh, and that that's how I got started.
1: When you say you published it yourself, uh, wh- what year
2: was this and what, what did it mean by publishing it yourself in those days? So I was quite low-tech. Odd- oddly, for someone who's done books about technology, I was quite low-tech in how I did it. This was back in 2005. So there wasn't quite the facilities there are now um, with all the fantastic things you can do on Amazon and so on. I was a bit nervous to begin with. I didn't want to print huge quantities uh, of the book in case it turned out it wasn't going to be popular, it wouldn't sell. So I literally started off printing them off on a little laser printer that I had and binding them with a comb binder. Uh, And I sat up and I did 50 copies of this book that way and thought, well, let's see if it'll sell at all, because if it doesn't, at least I haven't spent that much money on promoting it. And producing it Um, they sold like hotcakes so I uh, sat up every night for a week producing another whole batch of 200 or so Um, and when they sold as well I thought right this is something I should take seriously and went to a proper printer and got a thousand copies of them printed and and sold them actually properly printed ones instead of ones I'd bound in my attic room with a comb binder
1: when you say that they sold like hotcakes how did they sell like hotcakes where did you sell
2: them (laughs) yep so uh i didn't uh, have the contacts or or the inclination to try and get into bookshops to begin with so i took the uh, approach of selling them completely directly so i took out an advert in saga magazine i don't know if you've heard of it but it's a magazine for the over 50s and of course a lot of the people who struggle a bit with technology tend to be the over 50s um so I took out a little advert for that, put a phone number in it and uh, a coupon they could send in to get some more information, sent them out some more information about the books if they did ring up, and then they had the option to buy them. And that's worked hugely well for us. Uh, and that's largely still how we operate now.
1: Yeah, this is one of the things I'm going to explore in this interview, because I know you still take checks and you do it offline, yet here you mm. are selling technological books. The, the irony of it is, is, it is. is amazing. It really is. <laughs> but it's brilliant. It's a brilliant model.
2: And and one of the things people always point out is, oh, you don't seem to do that much online. But of course, the people who uh, are struggling with technology are the very people who aren't online very much. Um, so they're the ones who need the help. If they need our books, then they probably aren't online very much to begin with.
1: I think I think it's an inspired idea. I think the whole thing is inspired. Now, um, f- first of all, though, uh, an advert in Saga must have been a little bit of a punt on your part, wasn't
2: it? It can't have come cheap. It was, but I started with an absolutely tiny one. I don't know if they still do this, but back in that day, they had one page in the back of the magazine right tucked away at the back uh, when no, virtually no one would look at it, you would think, where they had a load of adverts that went down as little as about an inch and a half tall by an inch across. And I think I splashed out one that was two inches across. Um, So that wasn't too bad. It didn't cost me too much as a, a thing to test. As it worked, I then started running bigger adverts where we could tell them more about the books and they work better. But I kind of built up from that very small test because I I was a bit too chicken to go for a big one to begin with.
1: But of course, that's an important principle is that in the first instance, you went where your audience hang out. That's the first thing. Find your audience and your audience were, were beautifully gathered there reading Saga magazine.
2: Absolutely, and it's the same principle we use now with uh, a lot of our other books that still mainly appeal to older people. We find out what other magazines and newspapers they tend to read. Um, Saga isn't the only one by any means, Um, and some of them are obvious, like the oldie, the name kind of gives it away, Uh, and then some others are a little bit less obvious, like some of the gardening magazines that tend to have particularly an older audience, and then some of the other gardening magazines don't. Um, So you have to dig into the data that the magazines have to find that out.
1: Now, with those first books, um, photocopying and, and binding or, or printing, it's, that's actually quite an expensive business. So did you turn a profit on that first set of 50?
2: I did, but it was more a test than anything else. Mm. Um, so I, I technically turned a profit, but it wasn't really enough to justify all the effort I was putting in. So if you put my time in, then I probably wouldn't have. Um, but it, it told me that it was working and it was worth going ahead with.
1: So in many respects, this was market validation, Is what would what you call that?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I suppose, yeah, you could put it that way. Um, And learning about the market and how they responded. The other thing that was very useful then was because at that point, it was just me. I didn't have anyone else to answer the phone. Every time someone rang up to order these books, I got to talk to them. And again, that meant I got a brilliant insight into exactly what their problems were, what they were concerned about, what they were interested in. So again, it was A brilliant way to really get to understand my market better than i had at the beginning and then of course that meant i could use that to fine-tune those books and the future ones that i wrote
1: yeah, there are so many great marketing principles in this. And actually, these marketing principles also apply online for anybody listening to this. It's the same principles all the time, isn't it? You just might go to... I mean, I'm, when you're talking to me about the oldie magazine and saga, I'm thinking with my Facebook marketing head on, thinking, but all of these have Facebook groups. And these are all places you could go to if you were targeting Facebook ads. So uh, with marketing, it's always the same principles. It's just maybe the techniques that change, I think.
2: Absolutely. And uh, a lot of the same principles you use even in writing the adverts for um, magazines or newspapers and then for doing them online, it, you sometimes have to do it in a slightly different way. But it's it's the same principle. People are the same people. They don't put a different head on when they're reading a magazine from when they're online. The, the same things interest them and appeal to them that you have to angle your things towards.
1: When you got those first, so you did the next 200 and then you, you went all in and you got them printed. Now in 2005, I'm just thinking we were in self-publishing then was called vanity publishing, wasn't it? In that you, you generally got a big box full of books. Mm. And for most people, they sat in the garage once the relatives have all had their pickings and, and, and that was it. They just got all moldy in the garage. So this is, I think, what you were nervous of, isn't it? When you, when you tested your market.
2: Exactly. And I was doing it with uh, the very definite aim that I wanted to be able to earn a living out of it. I didn't necessarily expect that it would be as successful as it has been. Um, but I had that as my out and out aim. So that was, that was something I needed to kind of prove to myself before I got stuck in. And I suppose that's one thing. Sometimes I get asked about by different people or what should I do? I've got this book I'm interested in publishing. What should I do with it? And the first thing I always say is, before you start, or even decide anything about what you're going to do, work out what you want to get out of it. Um, In my case, it was I wanted to be able to make a living, or at least part of a living out of it. But for other people, that isn't what they're after. And if you're after different things, you should go about it in a different way.
1: What did those books like in terms of you um, producing the books? Were you on a a word at that stage? And there must have been um, (laughs) screenshots or some form of illustration in there as well?
2: Yes, uh, I had the advantage because of my background of the work I'd done before in publishing. I was pretty used to DTP programs and all that sort of thing. Um, so I got a copy of PageMaker, I think I used for the first one, which is going back a few years, um, precursor to InDesign, and, um, I think I used that for the very first ones, but it was a, it was a DTP program of some kind. So I could put screenshots in, put arrows in, pointing to particular buttons on the screen and put, uh, graphics in or lay it out however I wanted relatively easily because that was what I'd been doing for the, the previous years in my, in my job before that.
1: So therefore, when you came to get those, uh, books printed, uh, properly rather than on your printer at home, they were good to go, were they? Were there all the image, um, sort of dpi is correct and good to go for a print model
2: pretty much yeah there were one or two things i changed mainly in the the settings when i uh, I output it or created the pdf file that i sent to the printer just to make sure it was getting the best quality we could um beyond what my desktop printer could manage Uh, but pretty much it was just changing a few settings rather than going through and making any massive changes
1: and of course when you go to printing proper books he says in inverted commas you're then you've got different cover requirements too uh it becomes slightly more complicated than if you're just printing it off at home
2: yes because instead of just printing essentially two sheets of paper to make a cover uh i then had to have a cover that met properly for the spine and at that point i then went to a color cover (laughs) rather than just the black and white one that i'd had on my homemade ones so the cover i did have to change a bit um but at least it was just that that one uh one object that had to be changed
1: so you've got your 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 palette or your box full of a thousand books uh which is a daunting prospect for anybody mm-hmm. and, yep. and you've got to sell the thing so um you, you you by this stage you've tried um saga sounds like you've tried the oldie magazine as well What what's your strategy for shifting these
2: so it, it, by then I, I i was fairly confident that more of the same would be enough to work um to get my customers in the first place and that i could do that at a reasonable level of profit um so i went not quite all out in advertising in saga and uh, whatever the other magazines i was using back then that i discovered back then were Um, but i advertised enough in those that i could get a decent level of orders to begin with i was still taking all the orders myself so i didn't want to go all out because i wouldn't have been able to get stuck in writing the next book um which was, I suppose, the next part of my strategy then. It sounds like I'm planning for world domination there, but my, my plan, my next step in my plan was to have another book that they might be interested in buying. Um, and so literally as I was taking orders for these first ones, I was sat at the computer writing away on the next one, which is absolutely not a way I'd recommend to write a book at all. <laughs> it, it's not the most efficient way, but it was the situation I was in then. Um, So I cracked on with that one and managed to get uh, that one done and then was able to launch that one to the customers that I already had, which is the next part of how our business works. Then that we use these magazine and newspaper adverts to let people know about us in the first place, and then they can buy a book that they're interested in. But then we also give them the option to hear from us with a weekly email newsletter. Um, which most of our customers take up because it's got lots of useful tips in there or news when there's, I don't know if there's a virus or a scare about, we tell them what what to watch out for or just give them useful tips. And then also we can use it for telling them about new books that we bring out um, that I've written. And so that's largely the way that subsequent books then will sell because obviously having had the first book and hopefully been happy with it, they're really keen to get any other books that we do that might appeal to them. Um, And By then, they've already read the first book, so they're more comfortable using email and doing things online.
1: There are so many important marketing principles in here. Uh, I I teach a lot of this stuff locally. And Mm. um, the the email number one is that when you've got an email list, you can make repeat sales to existing customers. It's easier to sell again to an existing customer than it is to f- go out and pay for it and find a new customer. So that, that's the first principle.
2: <laughs> as long as long as your first product or book or whatever was good, which yes, yes. is a given.
1: Yes, yes. We mustn't give out uh, rubbish. Um the, the other thing here, and you see there are so many I'm so interested in your story because it, it's it's pretty well all offline the business. Mm. But so many of these principles apply to to online and to self-publishers. So the other thing you've done is you've You've written in series. You've written more books. This is the, the principle. In, absolutely. You know, yeah. write more books. Give people more things on your conveyor belt to buy. Um, and that sounds like that's almost the business model, is it?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I started off not really expecting to be able to make it profitable. From the initial books, um, we probably would have been, um, certainly for a while. But really what makes it work is then producing a whole range of other books and people coming back and buying at least some of those, whichever ones they're interested in. Um, And then we can do a launch where when that book is first coming out, before it's even out in the emails, I'll be saying, oh, I'm working on this book. I'm including these things. Um, This is one of the things I've been struggling with. Maybe sometimes I'll say, what are you interested in? hearing about in it. Um, and sometimes I'm able to include that in the book. Sometimes not if one person has something really obscure they're interested in, but quite often can. And then build up to it's going to be on sale on Monday. Uh, and I always like to put in a specific time and make a bit of theatre about it. So the the doors will open at 11 o'clock on Monday. And at that point, the webpage will appear where you can place an order or you can ring us up. Um, and, That works brilliantly well. You literally can sit there at the appointed time, 11 o'clock or whenever, pressing the refresh button on the keyboard and seeing this sudden flock of people who've been waiting, placing their orders, which is obviously a fantastic feeling to see your book suddenly being bought. The minute it goes on sale Uh, but it's all because of that build-up and because people are interested in what I'm writing in the newsletter because I've been giving them something interesting and useful along the way.
1: This is the point of the interview where we gave up with Skype and Tim and I have moved over to the phone now so it will be seamless to you as a listener but for me and Tim we've done a little bit of messing around here and hopefully Tim the phone's going to work now let's uh, keep our fingers crossed.
2: (laughs) Yeah, we'll put our faith in good old-fashioned technology this
1: time. <laughs> it's the first one I've had to do on the phone. It's quite interesting, actually. But the, the quality is <laughs> great, and obviously the stability will be there. So let, let's get back to talking about the uh, the books then, um, because the, mm. the question I'd, I'd asked you, and you were, you were in the middle of answering before we were rudely interrupted by the technology, and is I'd said to you that you get a lot of queries from people when you do technological books. They always want to know – they've always got another question. And I was wondering how you deal with that.
2: Yeah, so it's it's a really good question, and it's absolutely something we struggled with, or I struggled with in the early days. Um, So I started off getting questions about what do I do with this, how do I do such and such that's a little bit more advanced than the books, or uh, I'm trying to do this and it's gone wrong, or even what kind of computer should I buy, and so on. Um, And to begin with, I just tried to reply to people because I wanted to be nice. I didn't want to just say, oh, I can not answer all these questions. Uh, but as we got more and more customers, it got harder and harder because there were more people asking it until it got to the point where it was taking half of my day every day and that just wasn't really feasible. Um, so at that point, I sat down and thought, right, what what can I do? And turned it into something that's to our advantage by creating what we call the tech inner circle, which is a sort of monthly club that people can join. They pay a small monthly fee um, and then they can get access to a website that is for members only, where they can actually put on questions um, or things they want to know a bit more about. And then either I or Mike, who's my techie, will go on and answer them or give explanations or whatever it is they're after. And that's something now that has turned it into an advantage because that's a, a paid service.
1: The advantage of, of monthly services is that they bring in recurring and predictable income for for a business. Uh, and also, of course, it gets you out of that that launch model that you, you always need the next book uh, coming out, um, how how mm. you sort of you found that, and and how good has retention been?
2: Yeah, it's been really useful because I mean, at the start of every month, you already know you've got some sales uh, in the bag before you even start. Um, retention hasn't been a problem for us. I, I know I've heard lots of people who've started various uh, subscription things who found that a lot of people drop out very quickly. We do get some people drop out, but. I think there's two things we try really hard to do that help. One is simply giving a really good service, um, both when people are ordering the books and if they join the inner circle. But the other one is making sure that everything we do has our own personality in it. Um, So going back to the email newsletter that I said about before, I make sure it's not just here's a technical tip that might be useful and that's it because that's frankly pretty dry and a bit boring. Um, even if it's useful. So I make sure that it's got some character and personality in it, that the people reading it know who I am and what I'm doing. And that tends to make people want to come back and read more of it. And the same with the inner circle, because they feel they know us, they're much more inclined to stick with it.
1: One of the things that I've experienced in my own career, so I used to work with the BBC and I launched a, a digital project called the BBC Bus Project. And I think it was 2003, about the time you got started. And, and the aim of that mm. was to teach people how to use the internet and things like that. And, and now I, I go around uh, training business people and things on this stuff and one of the things I, I always say to people they always say well, we're rubbish at the computers and I say well when I started in 2003 um somebody who was rubbish at computers would hold their mouse up in the air and try and move it on mm. the screen and I said nowadays people think they're a bit rubbish on the internet if they can't find the wireless key um, to connect and I said but you're you know the skills level in the time that I've been doing this has gone up incredibly that the, the baseline of skill and I'm wondering whether you found that since 2005 that's 12 years of technology has the knowledge level moved on other people still out there who 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 frankly in 2003 when I started were were largely clueless about this stuff
2: yeah it has definitely and we found so now that nowadays the books that sell the most are slightly more advanced than would have back then Um, and people want to know about slightly more advanced things but it it kind of goes both ways because as people who are beginners beginner means a slightly more advanced thing now so they know a bit more but they also want to do more uh, and there's lots more things out there facebook or skype or, or whatever that they want to be able to use so as they've learned a bit more they also want to do a lot more so there's still things that they're struggling with the other thing i've found is that at least half the time it's not just about knowledge it's about confidence so it's about giving them that bit of reassurance even in the books saying you will be able to do this don't worry it seems complicated because you haven't seen it, but once you do these steps, then it will become simple so that people aren't scared of it.
1: One of the things I found, I did a series of, of self-published books um, on social media, one of the things that just drives me spare is the fact that it changes every five minutes and that you could, you, <laughs> you, can, you can get a book out and then Facebook changes the complete look and feel of everything. It just it drives me mad. Um, and I just wondered how, how you dealt with that, because in, what, 2005, would you have been on XP, that, that book? It probably would have been XP, would it? Yeah,
2: it? XP and Windows 98. Both both XP and ninety eight recovered because well, I covered because people were still using older computers as well.
1: And, and of course, Windows Seven came in soon after. So, in, in terms of you refreshing the books, do, do you have this ongoing program of refurbishment, so to speak, or or do you leave the old ones out there and just create new ones?
2: It, it does vary with the topic, but with ones like uh, computers, one step at a time, which was the first one, they're they're ones that do need updating periodically. Um, And we've just fairly recently brought out some books about Facebook and there, we absolutely know they're going to need updating every time we reprint them. So we're making sure we don't print too many at once because otherwise they'll go out of date. Um, Nowadays, that's much easier because with the success of the business, I've got a small team of editors who can help me with all that and tell me about anything that does need updating and make sure that I don't have to keep my eye on it all uh, which does make life a bit easier but yeah it is a a struggle sometimes to keep them up to date and and sometimes you get a situation where you've just finished a book and then they go and change it and you have to start something again <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's one of the
1: curses of life I think you know in this sector I think um I'm interested we, you... we had one in partic-
2: carry on we sorry. had one in particular with uh, a book about Android tablets where we'd literally just finished and we were a couple of days ahead of schedule it was myself and one of my editors was helping me with it and at that point uh google changed all of the things that were black on white to white on black and the other way around so we had to redo every screenshot in the entire book
1: when you got the first batch of books done you you, you outsource those you've got somebody else to do them and you just said there that you've got a team now who change all those things in-house are you printing them in-house or are you still getting somebody else to do the printing no
2: we still get them physically printed out externally um so we, we use an external printer for that, but we've we've now got a, I've got a couple of editors who help me with actually producing the books and with researching exactly what to include in them and then updating as well and making any changes that need to be done and things like doing the screenshots and all that kind of thing.
1: The the scale of your business um, astonishes me because you know I'm I'm a little self publisher working at, at my desk and it's it's hard enough to generate you know profits and sales as it is with all businesses but you've got a team of when you look at your website it seems like a team of thousands it's not that many is it but it's it's, yeah. it's it's up to 20 isn't it it's within the sort of 10 to 20 range I th-
2: yeah i think uh, i'm ashamed to say i don't know that exact number but i think there's Either 14 or 15 of us uh, in total. Some of them, to be fair, are, most of the people here are part-time, which gives us a bit of flexibility, particularly with the people taking orders on the phones. If we know it's going to be busy, we can get people in for a slightly longer amount of time, more of them in, uh, and cope with more calls. And then when it's a bit quieter, we'll just have people working their, their normal hours. Um, but it, is, it still is quite a few people.
1: You see, it's astonishing, I think, that you can, from a series of books, that you can employ that many people. You have a premises from which you operate this business. That, that, that's an expensive business. And this has all come from a book that you printed on a, on a laser jet, I think it was, did you say originally? Yeah. Um, that, yep. you must be pretty pleased with that.
2: Yeah. It's, it's hard because I don't really stop to think about the progress normally every so often when i'm clearing something out i'll come across something that i was working on back in 2005 or some of the original notes and think wow oh yeah we've actually come quite a way since then um but you always only really compare it to what you were doing like last week is what you're always thinking about so it doesn't seem such a big jump i suppose also the business i used to work at um which is where i met uh, russ russ holden who you've also interviewed um is cgp which is an educational publisher and i joined that when it had only been going for about two years i think two or three years uh, and that's uh, in some ways a similar story but they're massively bigger than we are um, obviously they're selling books to schools so it's a little bit different they've got that ready-made market
1: so did you learn some of the tricks from cgp watching how they'd scaled the business and grown
2: yes uh, definitely i learned a lot of the craft of producing the books there, and of actually doing the writing, um, which is after all pretty important too, um, and then also I spotted some of the things not to do, which can be just as important.
1: Can you can you give us an idea of what they might be? Because not not to do's, as you say, it, are just as important as the t- to do's.
2: Yeah, I think one of the things that perhaps won't apply to everyone, but one of the things that I really learned there was about not getting bogged down in discussions about whether to do a particular project or a particular thing, you have to make a decision and then do it, and ideally do it in a small way and try and see if it works, rather than getting 10 people discussing it, trying to work out whether something will work, because it can be so hard to predict. Uh, It's much better to actually try something in some small way and see the results, rather than just discuss it lots. Uh, And that was definitely an experience, particularly as I've been there for a longer time and as the business changed there. I definitely learned from that Um, in terms of the actual writing as well. I learned a lot there because that was part of my job to actually produce the books. So I learned how to just sit down, get faced with a blank page, which can be uh, a scary experience and get something down and make it happen.
1: So I, I don't know how willing you are to drill into some of the numbers. Um, are, are you are you happy to sort of give us an indication at least of, 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 well, number one, I guess, how many books you've you've got out, and number two, how many of those maybe you're shifting a month, a year, just, just a rough idea of numbers?
2: Yeah, sure. I've got a, a sort of family tree of all our range here at the moment. I don't know exactly how many it is, but I'll quickly sort of more or less count up. We've probably got about somewhere between 20 and 25 titles in print at the moment. Um, over the years we've probably had another 15 to 20 that we've had in print and then for some reason taken out of print either just because they just don't apply anymore um, or because they sold well at first but we're no longer selling enough to justify it uh, so there might be things that well for example we had a book on windows xp which we don't anymore because it just doesn't sell um, so yeah now it's about 25 i'd say looking at the at the diagram
1: and the sort of selling price for these books?
2: It does vary, but most of them are around twelve or thirteen pounds. Um, and of course, one of the advantages we've got over a traditional publisher, because we're selling directly to individuals, is that we get the whole of that. Obviously, we've got costs, but we don't have to share it with a bookshop or a distributor or anything like that.
1: And and uh, just you know, tell me when I'm asking too much. But <laughs> well, what would the margin be on a, on a book roughly?
2: Um, so most of them cost about a little bit more than a pound to print um and so the very the gross margin is fantastic obviously we've then got the costs of um the people to take the phone calls and processing the payments um but then the big other cost is the marketing uh which can be expensive particularly to get customers in the first place
1: so so you've got about you've got a sort of a clear 10 11 pounds on a book then and how many Hmm. when you're getting the books printed how many are you getting printed at a time
2: it does vary depending on how much how confident we are in them um with a new one that we bring out we'll usually print perhaps two thousand of it just to be on the safe side um with the ones that we know are selling well so for example at the moment probably our best-selling ones are the uh, uh, tablet books how to use your ipad or your android tablet and the smartphone equivalent how to use your iphone or, or android one and with those we might sell uh print three or four thousand at a time because we know they're selling quite well on the other hand we don't want to print too many because we'll get this problem of them going out of date before we've sold them <laughs>
1: and and but then the number that you get printed presumably has an impact on the the margin because i, I assume the fewer you get printed how many do you have to get printed to hit you know a pound a unit
2: yeah that's it does depend on how long the book is but um yeah that would probably be around 3000 so you'd pay a little bit more per unit for 2000 below below 2000 the prices go up a lot so we try to avoid doing that above 2000 it's affected less so it's a much slower change so the difference per book between printing 2000 or 3000 is relatively small get below 2000 and the prices really start to shoot up per book
1: the other thing I noticed about your book, and I don't mean this rudely at all because your model is fantastic mm-hmm. and you're shifted loads of books, but your, your covers are quite bland. And I, I I'm pleased mm. you said that you work at CGP because they actually look like revision guides to me. When I look at them, I see revision guides. Um, that's what they look like. Yeah. But, but in the indie circles, you know, there's a big deal made about books and people spend a lot of money on, on the book covers, but yours are quite straightforward,
2: really. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you should see the first ones I did. More <laughs> <laughs> straightforward. <laughs> Um, yeah so it's a very different situation because people aren't choosing them in a bookshop or even on amazon where you see the cover they never see the cover until they've already got the book at which point they're more concerned about what's inside hopefully Um, so it's not something we've ever really put any great effort into because they can't judge the book by the cover because they don't see the cover until they've already got it
1: i came across one of your adverts i I wish i've saved it somewhere it's in this study somewhere i don't know where it is but um i i think i came across it at my mum's. so it it might have been a saga magazine or something but it um i was looking at it and i'd spoken to russ holden and so i was aware of you and what you were doing i thought oh that's Mm. tim that is and it was it was one of these adverts that you you often see in newspapers it was the same format same copywriting style and uh, people would have seen them in the uk um things like you know how to avoid getting speeding fines and things like that it's that kind of advert, Mm. and 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 Yours looked like that, and it was for the. It was for something like the tablets. It was something like that, I think it was. Yeah. Um, that how how well do they go? Because I I know somebody made a lot of money off one of those, just a single campaign. They they
2: seem to convert really well. Yeah, it's I mean, we get people. You wouldn't believe how many people tried to give me advice without having tried it themselves, saying, "Oh, what you need is a big picture, and you need to make it look nicer, and you need to make it look more like an advert," and. Uh, that's fine for them to think that, but that, that isn't what works. Um, the, the way I always put it is if you buy a magazine, you buy it to read it. So you might want some pictures, but you want to read it. You, so you want something interesting that's there for you to read. So the adverts should be like that as well. It should almost be like an article that tells them about how they can solve this problem they're having with their tablet or whatever it is. Um, so they're very much written as something that you would want to sit down and read and go, oh, yeah, that's interesting to me.
1: And do you know what your your conversion is on something like that? Do, 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 are you able to track this kind of stuff with codes and things?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So every advert we run has a little tiny code in the coupon, um, and it says in there to quote it if you ring up, um, and that converts into what magazine it is. So, for example, if it's a saga magazine, it'll start with SG, and then it'll have the month and the year. And then when our customer services people take the call they put onto our computer system, what that was and then we can track that right through from that point so we know for each advert whether it's broken even or not or made a good profit or so on um and even then later on we can say are people who buy from saga likely to then buy anything else in the future um which is obviously even more useful to be able to tell
1: yeah this is i mean i I do a lot of this with businesses about knowing the the cost of customer acquisition but also knowing the Mm. long-term value of a customer that you know if they buy one book what does the average customer buy because then you know how much you can spend to get them if you know how many books they're going to buy in the series so presumably you're you know all of this Then you're digging into these kind of numbers
2: absolutely so we've got a screen on the the system we have that shows you for every advert those exactly those numbers Um, and we usually work on the basis that we're happy to run an advert that breaks even but no more because we know we'll make a good profit on the people behind. In some cases, we're even happy to take a small loss on the other, as long as we know that it'll work out in the longer run, because those people will come back and buy more things.
1: Yes, it's really interesting stuff. And and, and this is digging deep into marketing principles. I did a a talk to the Society of Authors uh, a couple of weeks ago, and I was explaining to them how I could give books away for free. But because I know that Mm. I will sell in the series, I'm not actually giving them away for free. I'm I'm actually making more more money on that. And it, I call it the sausage on a stick principle in the in the supermarket. Um, but but you've you got to know your numbers, haven't you? have got to know your numbers to be able to do yeah. that. As you say, make a loss in some cases.
2: And you have to be really confident that you've you've got your numbers right. Because obviously if you've just kind of gone, oh, well, we think this one's doing about this, you could potentially lose a lot of money trying to do those approaches. You have to be certain that, yes, we know this is how this is working out before you can be confident to except taking a loss on the first advert
1: this takes us into marketing of course and we we've, we've you've already alluded uh, to this and i'm just wondering where you uh, where you picked up marketing did you learn it on the job did you get it from cgp where
2: where where have you learned your skills well when i was at cgp i wasn't really involved with the marketing department i mean i spoke to them every now and then about the new books we were bringing out but i wasn't really involved in it in any way but Towards the end, when I was starting to think about mm, maybe I should do something on my own, it might be a bit more fun. I bought a book, and it was as simple as this: I went onto Amazon and I did a search for books about direct marketing, um, and I found this book by a chap called Drayton Bird. You may well have heard of him.
1: I've never um, heard of it. No, this is this is
2: new to me. You've never heard of Drayton Bird? Oh, no? you should you should get this book, Common Sense Direct Marketing. I think it's now called Common Sense Direct and Digital Marketing. Um, and I bought this book, and I sat down and read it, and just thought, oh. Actually, marketing isn't this black art that you have to be one of the initiated to understand. It's not this thing where only really clever people can do it. It actually makes sense. Uh, And this was a bit of a revelation to me. I had this view you get from reading the papers or seeing TV that you've got these really clever people who can come up with these adverts that hypnotically convince you to buy. Um, But actually, there are some fairly fundamental principles about giving something that will appeal to people um, in your and explaining things so that they they have a reason to want to buy. And that just led me on to thinking, well, yeah, that backs up my idea that maybe I could do this. And I learned a lot from that book. And then I also got ideas of what else to start reading. And as a, a voracious reader, I just read lots of books about it and picked up lots more ideas that way
1: and then the the other thing about marketing is that although you could you could know the principles um you seldom get in a place where you could write a bit of ad copy and you know it's going to work so how do you test stuff now particularly when you're spending quite a lot on ads if you if you get one that doesn't work that's quite a costly mistake for you
2: yeah i mean we're nowadays it's not so bad because we're the business is bigger we're we've got higher revenues. If I try one advert and it's a loss, well, I can kind of shrug my shoulders and say, well, that's that's outweighed by the other ones that are working. Um, to begin with, I was very cautious about it and would deliberately run in a, a test advert, a new version of an advert that I'd written, in a magazine that had a very small circulation and was very, small to, uh, was very cheap to run in. So I didn't do that in the very first days when I did that advert in Saga, because I hadn't thought of it, frankly. Yes. <laughs> But uh, after that, I started running in some of the smaller circulation magazines where you can run adverts pretty cheaply um, and just see whether it works there. And then if that works, try running it in a slightly higher circulation magazine that's a bit more expensive. And if that works, then start putting it in the really big, expensive ones. So always scaling up and testing on a small scale. I suppose it's the same principle as when I started printing the books myself, just testing it on a small scale before scaling it up to be uh, once I was confident.
1: I, I think your your business and your model is stunning, and I think there are so many examples of just great practice across the board that you're demonstrating there. But there there, there is one thing that, that that astounds me about the business. You know, given how successful that it is, is why aren't you all over Amazon? You know, why aren't you on iBooks? Why aren't you on all these
2: channels? Yeah, it's something. It's something I wouldn't say I'd rule out forever. Um, but I took a very conscious decision at the beginning to not get involved with bookshops for a few reasons. One is simply the cut they took, which obviously is not as bad with some of the online ones, um, depending on how you do it. But also, And also with bookshops, with how slow they can be to pay you, um, which can be a bit painful if you're on uh, a limited amount of cash. But probably the biggest thing was in the early days, I really wanted to know exactly who all of my customers were. And if I sell a book to them directly, I know who they are. I've got a chance for our people to ask them on the phone if they want to join up to our email newsletter. I've got their address. As long as they don't opt out, I can send them information through the post. Um, So I've got all these ways to keep in touch with them and tell them about other products. Whereas if I sell through any other intermediary, it's much harder. You can still try and get them to sign up to your newsletter by putting stuff in the book itself. Uh, But it's much harder to get all those ways of staying in touch with them.
1: And again, you see there, there's so much concern. Uh, people talk about going wide, um, you know, because Amazon, if Amazon changes the rules, all of a sudden, uh, you could lose your business, you could lose the shirt off your back. It's the same as, you know, Google, if they change algorithms and things, you could lose the shirt off your back. So again, you know, there are some very solid marketing principles in that, that if you control your own platform, you are in charge of your destiny.
2: Absolutely. So in the past, I've when we've done launches of new books, I've used um, the post to tell people about it as well as the email newsletter. And in the early days, that was a, a more important thing because some of my customers didn't even have an email address. Mm. So I couldn't email them about it. And then as time went on, that's become less important, partly because email works better for us now, but also just because things like the price of postage has massively gone up. It's tripled since I started, I think, Um So that's a much more expensive way to get in touch with people. But because I've got people's details and I've got permission to contact them, I can do it in whichever way I want. So nowadays we use email much more, and that's a much more important way for keeping in touch with existing customers than it was when I first started out.
1: Have you, um, obviously when you do, um, digital books, the price of delivery is, 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 virtually zero. Have you, have you thought of going digital with the books? You know, but I, what I'm thinking is you've got these files, these assets anyway, uh, uh, you've paid for and you're making good profit on, um, you know, it would be as easy as anything, wouldn't it, to make them available digitally?
2: Yeah, it is something we've considered. Um, it's a little bit more tricky than it is with a lot of books because a lot of our books are very, uh, sort of, visual in that they each page isn't just a, a page of text and then a picture it's got a Perhaps a picture of us uh, of the screen or a screenshot with arrows around it with bits of text pointing at it And then when you tend to format that for Kindle, it tends to go a little bit well, It can be too small or it can be hard to format it well or it doesn't uh, Change size if they change the size of the font and so on so it can be a bit trickier um, It's not something I'd rule out forever though uh, but we'll we'll just have to see how things go. At the moment one of the things a lot of our customers like is that they they actually like having a paper book that so they can have open on the desk while they're using whatever it is they're using. Um, and in fact one one of the things a customer said to me not that long ago is that they they think their tablet actually had a manual on it when they bought it, because they didn't know how to use the tablet. They couldn't <laughs> get at <it> the manual. <laughs> <Yeah>. it <was laughs> so it was, was a proper catch 22 to do.
1: <laughs> That's brilliant. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> So, in terms of your your sort of long term plans, then do do you have um, kind of like a a sausage factory? Do 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 you know what titles you're going to be working on over the next year or so?
2: Yeah, so we've got fairly I've got fairly concrete plans for the until the middle of next year, um, with dates when I'm aiming to bring things out uh, and and what those books will be, Um, and then more I'm not going to say vague, but more fluid. Uh, plans for the second half which might be more likely to change Um, so again in the early days I didn't tend to do that as much because I was playing it a bit by ear to see what worked but now we've got a clearer idea of that and I like to have that plan so that we know what's going on and we can just get on and, and concentrate on getting it done.
1: How much of the writing are you doing now because of course in the early days it was very much your voice that was coming over.
2: Mm. so now I do much less than I used to I still write the email newsletters um, that come out each week Um, so I do that myself completely uh, which is partly because I quite enjoy doing it partly also because I think it keeps me absolutely in touch with customers and knowing what they're interested in and what they're worried about Um, with the books it's more of a collaboration between myself and the editors that we've got so they can do a lot of the research and understand what we want to include and then I can go and cause trouble by saying oh no I think we should do it this way (laughs) Um, and we get to a result that's somewhere in between Uh, so that makes it a lot easier for me that they can do a lot of the the more time consuming bits of it
1: and have you aspired ever to write that um fiction story do you have a, a fiction book in you anywhere
2: from time to time, you know, it, it's one of those things, I think most people probably do think this. From time to time, I think, oh, maybe I should uh, clear off some time and just go and, and sit down and knock something like this out. I'm, I, I read a lot of fiction, so it would be nice to, to do that. Um, I've never got to the point where I want it enough to be willing to put the work in. I suppose, having written these other books, I know how much work it is to write. <laughs> and and writing something that I don't know I can sell now is... Uh,
0: <laughs> yes
2: is, uh, less motivating but i don't know maybe sometime i'll just uh, finally buckle down to it
1: i think it's just an amazing uh, business model tim and it, it's it's just all the principles are the same as, as self-publishing but but it's so completely different from it in terms of the model mm. you generate it's just absolutely amazing what you've built and what you've you've done with this could you just um, let us know where we can find out more about you um, online
2: yeah, sure. There's two places, really. The, the business itself, so the, the books about computers and tablets and so on, the, the company is the Helpful Book Company, and the website is helpfulbooks.co.uk, um, and that's got a list of all our books and so on, and, and the email newsletter that I mentioned about is on there that you can sign up for. Um, I also sometimes, I also have a blog that I write about various things, mainly to do with either business or marketing or whatever catches my eye. Um, and that one is timwakeling.com. Um, Wakeling with an E in it.
1: Well, Tim, it's been fantastic speaking to you today. We managed to beat the technology by using the yeah, telephone. we did. <laughs> it's been great on the phone, hasn't it, <laughs> ironically? It's worked
2: absolutely perfectly.
0: <laughs>
1: but thanks ever so much for your time today.
2: Oh, it's been a real pleasure. And uh, to everyone who's listening, uh, good luck with the books you're working on as well.
0: Thank you for listening to this week's Self-Publishing Journeys. If you enjoyed the show, please consider sharing it with your indie author friends. Or you can leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or whichever podcast directory you use. In the meantime, you'll find previous interviews and all the show notes at selfpublishingjourneys.com. Thanks again for listening. We'll have more great self-publishing tips for you next week.